transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. And well, it finally happened. Just like every year, all of a sudden it's hot. A week ago, it was pleasant out. Depending on your latitude, your elevation, of course. But at 3,000 feet or so, it has been a real nice spring for a lot of us. Dry, no wildflowers. But fairly mild weather we've been having overall. And all of a sudden, we've got public safety alerts for our first heat event of the year. That's what they call them. Extreme heat events, maximum heat events, something like that. And it happens pretty regularly this time of year in the high desert, but each year people act surprised. I do. See, when you just can't stand a significant part of the year, the daytime part, Well, it tends to make time fly during the more pleasant parts. Because the good months are never long enough and the bad months always drag on until you just can't take it anymore. And the coastal places are so expensive, the only places with mild weather in a lot of the west in the summer... So you tend to see a lot of movies. What's this one? Shrek? Oh, I'm sorry. Shrek on Ice. How long is it? I'm looking for something in the three-hour range that nobody else wants to see. And yeah, I'm bringing in these earplugs so I can take a nap in one of your fancy recliner seats. Well, last summer, we could not even have the movies. No hiding inside the ice cream parlor. No hanging out under the air conditioning vent in the library or going to the roller rink. People would make up a reason to go to Walmart. Just going to drive over there and count the TVs they've got in stock. There's always something on at Walmart in the TV aisle. But rarely a movie or a football game. They know how hot it is outside and... There's probably a corporate memo about not encouraging people to stand around watching the widescreens. But maybe they're busy helping other customers, as they like to say. So you walk maybe five aisles over and you get a bunch of those white plastic chairs. Set up a little theater. If anybody hassles you, firmly inform them that this is an emergency cooling center. 
the weekenders and the tourists and the scene makers are still coming out here and they have to act like it's all normal. They still try to go on hikes, the whole ordeal. Everybody's got to get ready for about an hour and a half. And then there's a good 20 minutes of standing around the trailhead parking lot as the day gets ever more hot and oppressive. Did somebody forget their smart water back at the Airbnb? And if little kids are involved, you gotta add another hour. What's he crying about now? Well, he intentionally stuck a tiny part of a toy into the seatbelt latch and there's no way to get it out. And the seatbelt doesn't work now. Maybe we ought to call AAA. Flag down a park ranger. The several people in the hiking party will now need to go use the outhouses. And then complain about the outhouses. And oh, for God's sake, I, I left my rock identification book in the car. Well, now it's 100 degrees and the birds are panting under the dried up bushes. Everybody is just miserably trying to act like they're enjoying themselves. Finally getting up to some sun-blasted hilltop and seeing the air pollution over the Coachella Valley. It's beautiful, really. Maybe we should stop with all the hiking. Making a big ordeal out of taking a walk for part of the day. Everybody putting on their hiking costumes. You're walking a, a three-mile loop on a groomed flat trail. You don't need the Mount Everest peak scalers. When it's hot, a sneaker that can breathe is 100% better than some five-pound hiking boot that looks like an ankle cast. You have to walk in those things. True, you're not well protected for stepping onto rattlesnakes or choya. But if you manage to get around your house without falling in the toilet, if you've successfully closed the car door without losing a leg, well, you may have the necessary common sense to not step on a coiled rattlesnake in the middle of the trail. And considering your trail has about 600 people per mile, like a Disneyland line, the snakes are probably staying out of the way. When it gets real hot, everything gets out of hand. People's brains start to fry from within. Skin swollen with the dull heat. Everything you touch is hot. You bring in the trash cans, they're hot. The handles on the plastic roller bins are hot. Crime goes up, people are frustrated and uncomfortable. And that summer-long lethargy that can always burst into violence. Into weird and unexpected actions. They were talking on the radio this week about a woman out here who got shot by the deputies. Not fatal. And the spokesman from the department said something like, And ultimately, we saved her life. And I'm thinking, well, that's one way to look at it. As 
It's that time of year when the street fireworks brighten the late nights. When daylight lingers till nine or longer. When the distant sound of coyotes and drag racing mingles with the swamp cooler's squeaky fan. Somebody ought to call the guy at AC service. Maybe it needs a new belt. Or the pump's locked up. It's that hard water out here. I got one of those combination humidifier air purifier units in preparation for this year's nine-month-long wildfire season. And the water's so hard up here that the humidifier mist runs up the PPM meter to basically industrial disaster levels. Parts per million. You get up in the 300s into the 500s over a lot of the West last year while we slow-cooked in the wildfire smoke. And that's just hell on your lungs. If you live in a place with bad air, with a lot of diesel smoke and oil rig fumes and industrial solvents from the factories, then you're more likely to get lung cancer, emphysema, asthma, all the stuff you don't want to have. One of the reasons COVID hit so hard and black and brown and poor neighborhoods is because air quality is consistently worse in lower income areas. In working class immigrant neighborhoods and black neighborhoods. That's what people meant decades ago, a hundred years ago, when they talked about being from the wrong side of the tracks. A colorful and accurate way to describe the situation. Like in that Johnny Rivers song, Welcome Back, Baby, to the Poor Side of Town. Downwind of the railroad tracks, the dockyards, the stockyards, and the slaughterhouses. That's where you find the tenements and the projects. Rich people live above the worst air. I interviewed Mike Davis one time years ago, the guy who wrote those deeply atmospheric and revealing critiques of Southern California exceptionalism, city of courts, and ecology of fear. And he talked a lot about how stratification of the classes is enforced by altitude, by topography vertical stratification. In West Hollywood, you're above the heavy smog. If you can see downtown because you're in the hills and you're very fortunate, when the smog's bad, you see the skyscrapers pushing out of the lowest and densest layer of brown air. When I'm talking about the importance of small businesses, small business people, people with a trade, a craft, and making where you live an important part of your daily existence. I get a lot of that from Mike Davis. Now, he's got critics like anybody lucky enough to have a public reputation, but they're usually saying weird things like, 
Uh, he's romanticizing the working class and the bioregional and historical factors that make for an interesting place. And when I hear that, I think, you know, it's all right to romanticize everything that's important to you. That's a good thing. That's a benefit. That's optimism. If you're just zooming it in, maybe that's not your ultimate destiny in life. So I wrote to the manufacturer of the humidifier-air purifier combination. And they tried to act like it was normal. That it's normal for your humidifier-air purifier to go into red light panic mode because the particulate pollutants have just gone bonkers in your living quarters. So I looked around on the internet and found a customer review describing the same problem. But this person had figured out that the very hard water, like we often get in the desert towns, is what causes the machine to lose it. Filtered water apparently does the trick. If I ever get into any serious trouble, I think I'm going to try that I ultimately save the person's life defense. do some advanced planning this year, I asked people across the West for suggestions. Suggested Western towns for hiding out in August. A place with a creek or a river, water. Some restaurants and bars beyond Applebee's, you know? Some bookstores for browsing away half the afternoon. And then leaving with so many books that they've got to double bag them. People walking through the neighborhoods at night, walking their dogs, riding their bicycles, riding their horses, pointing out the owls in the trees, the bats flapping around in the twilight sky. Beer gardens and late night movies. How about a diner open at 2 a.m. for some huevos rancheros and a cup of coffee? Leave your windows open at night. Let that cool 2 a.m. breeze fill the cabin. Well, I got a hundred or so suggestions, although many people entirely miss the point about the need for the place to be comfortable in August. Santa Fe, Red River, Truth or Consequences, Silver City, Albuquerque, Las Vegas, the New Mexico Las Vegas, the real one. 
Some people recommended Northern Nevada, Reno and Carson City in particular, but they left out Genoa and Minden, Gardnerville and South Lake Tahoe, and the Ruby Mountains. Washington, Yakima, Winthrop, Walla Walla, Arizona, Flagstaff, Prescott, Cottonwood, Summerhaven, Bisbee, Jerome, Livingston, Bozeman, and Missoula, Montana, Boise, Moscow, and Haley, Idaho, Moab, Utah, Alpine, and Marfa, in San Antonio in Texas, where it's too hot in August. Bend and Joseph and Baker City in Oregon. Bishop and Kernville in Nevada City in California. Lander, Cody, Jackson Hole, Thermopolis, oh that's Wyoming. Cortez and Westcliff, Durango and Paonia, Salida, Buena Vista, Glenwood Springs, Grand Junction. The Dakotas even showed up, Rapid City, Fargo. And some lunatics said Whitesburg, Kentucky, that's not even Western Kentucky. Now, some people might be saying, hey, you can't say Lake Tahoe. That's not the desert. Get back in the desert, which is the only place you're allowed. I mean, last summer, a couple listeners got bent out of shape because I mentioned Iceland. But the people roasting in the solar inferno of August desert living, they understand. We don't even necessarily need to know where Iceland is or if it's even real. It might be some fictional world from Shrek on Ice for all we care. Just like to think about a land of ice as we melt in a fast evaporating pool of our own blood, sweat, and tears. Either way, Lake Tahoe is the source of the Truckee River, which comes to an end at Pyramid Lake. And then there's the Carson River, which eventually vanishes into the dust and sand of the Carson Sink, the great rivers of northern Nevada. Speaking of Lake Tahoe, we got the regular newsletter from our friends at Alta Magazine, the Journal of Alta, California, a real good print magazine that you should subscribe to if you like magazines. It even comes out four times a year, like it's supposed to. So this newsletter article by Alta's digital editor, Beth Spotswood, is very appropriate for our interests around here. A headline that might be Tessie at your toes. Those of us headed to Lake Tahoe this summer might want a refresher course in one of California's lesser-known legends. Tales of Lake Tahoe's mythical, or at least unidentified, underwater inhabitants span centuries. 
Indigenous folklore from the region includes descriptions of water babies, dangerous and powerful creatures whose cry can serve as an omen of death. Following the gold rush, when white settlers pushed their way west and grabbed land around Lake Tahoe, Rumors and murmurs of curious, scaly monster sightings began to pop up in local lore and in the news. In 1897, San Franciscan I.C. Coggin wrote a riveting first-person account of an encounter with what he reported to be a 600-foot-long monster serpent in the woods near Lake Tahoe, some 30 years before his report. In the 1950s, two off-duty police officers reported a large creature swimming under their boat at a whopping 60 miles per hour. Sightings continued in the 1970s, the 80s, and the 90s, including by a water skier who swore he saw a 10-foot-long creature swimming beneath him and the owner of a local television station who spotted something with brown humps plodding through Zephyr Cove. Resident Bob McCormick took advantage of the popular legend and nicknamed the creature Tahoe Tessie, a nod to the famed Loch Ness Monster, or Nessie, of Scotland. McCormick's 1985 children's book, The Story of Tahoe Tessie, the original Lake Tahoe Monster, continues to be sold at local gift shops. People continue to dress in cartoonish Tessie costumes for parades and events, and tours buy Tessie toys. At a maximum depth of 1,644 feet, Lake Tahoe is the second deepest lake in the country. Crater Lake, full of its own mysteries, is the deepest. So it is possible that there is much we don't know about what lurks beneath. But in the mid-1980s, a researcher at UC Davis proposed one possible explanation for the legend of Tessie. She's a really big sturgeon. This prehistoric bottom feeder can grow as large as 12 feet long, weigh up to 1,500 pounds, and can have a back covered in scales. But there are some who still insist that Tahoe Tessie isn't a sturgeon or a fun local legend, but rather a dangerous, unidentified underwater creature. Oceanographer Jacques Cousteau undertook a number of Lake Tahoe mini-submarine dives in the middle 1970s, and when asked what he found, Cousteau reportedly said the world isn't ready for what is down there. But he said it in a French accent. Happy swimming. Beth Spotswood signs off. And you can read the whole thing at altaonline.com. I used to swim in that big blue lake whenever I could in the dry, hot summers around Reno. I taught my dog how to swim in Tahoe, my dog at the time. He was a little scared of the water, considering that I rescued him from drowning in my neighbor's half-full, freezing-cold, above-ground pool near Christmas time. 
So the dog figured he'd just avoid water from then on, which was smart. But swimming is fun when you can go back to the sandy shore whenever you like. So I'd swim out to where it was nice and deep and then call him to join me. And eventually he did it. And he liked it. But once he was ready to get back on the land, he always raced out of water like a bat out of hell, like a monster was going to get him. I've never seen Tahoe Tessie. I've never seen the Loch Ness version. I've never seen a sea monster. But this summer might be the time to go on a snipe hunt. When I'm on the road checking out some of these many recommended towns I've maybe only ever passed through or missed completely, looking for somewhere to settle for August, a place with a couple of small theaters within an hour or two drive, do some live shows, maybe someplace like Durango, where it rarely gets higher than the low 80s in August. Lucy took the football again, and all the alien faithful have once again been denied their alien disclosure that was never going to happen because there's nothing to disclose. It's typical for the national press to ignore what's happening over people's heads every night and make it all about the government, the military, aerospace contractors, Top Gun, Harry Reid, Real UFOs are still manifesting. True, unidentified wonders in the night sky. Over the American West, over the Hudson River. Floating silently over the Estrellas or Gila Bend. The Gulf of California. Really, anywhere you can get a good look at the night sky. Last time we talked about the many May the 15th witnesses, especially in the Pacific Northwest and clear out to Yellowstone. Most of them made a point of saying they know about Starlink. They've seen Starlink satellites in that west-east string of pearls in the night sky. Too many alleged UFO sightings in our current time are nothing but those Starlink internet satellites launched by SpaceX. So if you want to see a UFO, you should first get familiar with the other sights in the sky. Rockets and airplanes, military flares over 29 palms, the International Space Station, like a great white egg from horizon to horizon. I was at a party up in Flamingo Heights a couple weekends ago, and people were all excited because... Well, mostly because we were finally having parties again, delighting in the company of our fellow humans, standing around in the desert dirt, drinking beer and watching the grill. But then the people were excited to see in the northwestern sky this little train of satellites reflecting sunlight. It's a wild thing to witness, even when you know what they are. It's like counting space sheep. It's hypnotic and delightful. From Amboy to Zizek's and across the Great Mojave Wilderness, this has been Desert Oracle Radio. I'm your host, Ken Lane. Soundscapes tonight by Red, Blue, Black, Silver. Come visit us at DesertOracle.com. We got books. We got magazines. 
Thank you, friends of the night, for joining us on this warm evening in the Mojave or wherever you are. Good night from the Voice of the Desert. <laughs>